0: Well, isn't it encouraging to uh, hear stories of how even during COVID, God is uh, using his people to make a difference in people's lives. Now, some of you may recall an incident that took place this past November in which hundreds of teens stormed on one of the Calgary malls, causing disturbances, starting fights, and terrifying shoppers and workers at the mall. This was not the first incident like this, but has happened in various cities over the last five to ten years in the United States and Canada. Now, Dr. James Garbrino of Cornell University has done a lot of research on this. He's trying to understand why the emerging generation is so angry and frustrated inside, often acting out their restlessness in immoral and illegal ways. Well, based on his research, he determined that the number one reason was spiritual emptiness. They look at our culture and the life of their parents and by and large, they see materialism and the pursuit of comfort and pleasure. Dr. Garbarino says, as long as young people believe that their lives have no higher purpose than these, many of them see no point In restraining their immoral behavior. Philosopher Peter Kreeft, he writes, how do we explain the irony that the very society which for the first time in history has turned the world into a giant fun and games factory, a rich kids playroom, the very society which has the least reason to be bored is the most bored. Boredom and stagnation stems from a lack of meaning and purpose in life. Now, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is. In other words, what is the most important thing we need to give our lives to? And the abbreviated version of what Jesus said is this. There is no greater purpose in this life than loving God and loving people. Now here's the thing, if you're discouraged, anxious, bored, or unfulfilled in life, if your marriage is stagnating, if your family and or small group of friends uh, is stagnating, it is most likely because you are giving your life to lesser temporary things that just simply won't last and will greatly disappoint you one day, rather than focusing on what it is that God created you for, and that is to love him and to love others. Well, so far in this series, we've looked at the importance of loving God and also loving one another. In this message, we're going to look at what the Bible says about loving others and why that really matters to God. So let me ask you, have you ever thought about why God has left you here? And not taking you to heaven? I mean, if God's primary purpose for us is to know Him and to love Him, then it would just make the most sense for Him to take us, His followers, straight to heaven, where we would know Him, love, and worship Him perfectly and forever. If God's primary purpose for us is to love one another, then it would make the most sense for him to take us straight to heaven where loving community is perfect, unhindered by sin, disharmony, and loneliness. But you see, as I see it, there's only one main reason that the Lord allows us, his church, to remain on earth. And that is to join him in his mission to bring all people back into relationship with himself. Those of you who are parents, if you've ever experienced losing one of your children for even a few minutes in a crowded mall or some other large venue, and and how with each passing minute, uh, your adrenaline began to spike, your heart began to race, your panic increased as you began to think the worst... And how you would have done in that moment anything, given anything, made a fool of yourself, turned the world upside down to get your child back. Well, if you've experienced that, then you have a bit of an understanding, not only of how much God loves you, but also how God feels about his missing spiritual kids and how passionate he is about his lost spiritual kids coming back home to him. His heart breaks for every person on this planet who does not know him personally. When God looks at your parents or siblings or co-workers or fellow students who are far from him, oblivious to him or deliberately ignoring him, his heart breaks for those missing kids. Luke 19 says, This is the main reason that Jesus came, to seek and to save God's spiritually lost kids. And Jesus turns to us and he says in John 20, he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so when we join him on mission, we're involved in the most God-glorifying activity possible because nothing is closer to God's heart than his spiritually lost kids coming home to him. 1 Timothy 2.4 puts it this way, God our Savior wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. That is the supreme reason, I believe, that we are still here on earth and not in heaven. Now the question I want to explore in the time remaining is how do we join God in loving his lost kids to come back home to him? How do, you, how do we join him on mission? Well, the life of Christ is very instructive in this. You read the story of Jesus' life in the gospels, it's pretty evident that Jesus lived a very focused and a very purposeful life. He never seemed in a hurry. His words were never wasted, and he always was filled with wisdom, and his behaviors seemed very intentional. And that is because he had only one overriding purpose in life, and that was to carry out the mission that his heavenly Father had given to him to reach his lost kids and to make a way for them to come home. So how did Jesus go about fulfilling the mission God had given to him? Well, first of all, Jesus did only what his heavenly father told him to do. Even though Jesus is fully God, while he was on this planet, he chose not to exercise his divine privileges and power. Instead, he lived every day in total dependence on his heavenly father to direct his steps and to empower his life. In fact, John 5.30 says that while he was on earth, Jesus' consistent attitude was, by myself, I can do nothing. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus gave highest priority to his relationship with his heavenly Father. The Gospels tell us that on a regular basis, Jesus went to a quiet place by himself to be with his Father, to pray, and to receive his father's assignments and direction for his day. And church, if we're going to introduce others to Jesus, then we need to live uh, in total dependence on Jesus the same way that Jesus depended on his heavenly father. The key to that dependence is cultivating our relationship with God by hearing God speak to us through the scriptures, also through his whispers, and then responding to him uh, in prayer. And so long before we talk to our friends about Jesus, we need to talk to Jesus about our friends and our coworkers and our fellow students and our neighbors because we can't change anyone's heart. Only God can do that. But he wants to bring about change through us and so our job is to keep our ears attuned to the Lord and to follow his lead and that involves daily surrendering ourselves anew to him and even before we get out of bed saying to him Lord my hands are open to you today I'm available to do whatever it is you need me to do. I'm available to pray for someone. I'm available to share my story with someone. I'm available to serve someone or just to listen to someone or just be there for someone. It's inviting him to do our day with us and saying, Spirit, I'm going to be listening for your direction in my life today and responding to the assignments that you give me. Please show me, through my time in your word, wrong motivations that I might have, wrong attitudes that I have toward others. And please show me where you're at work. Help me to see what you see. Prompt me to do what you would have me to do. Sometimes God prompts me to pray for someone or to say something to someone or to do something for someone. And sometimes after the fact, I'll I'll get word that my obedience to God made a real difference in someone's life, in some cases, life-changing. But what is important is to be obedient and to leave the rest with God, whether we hear about the impact of our obedience or not. This past week, I heard Dr. Francis Collins, a world-famous doctor, share how his journey of faith started when he was treating an elderly Christian woman who was near death, and as she was doing so, uh, as he was doing so, she turned to him and she just asked him one question. Doctor, what do you believe? He said that's all she said. But that question never left me. Ultimately led me to put my faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the outcome is in God's hands. She probably never knew the outcome of asking that question. I was talking with a woman who attends our church who for years was praying that God would open doors for her to introduce others in her community to Jesus. And she saw no fruit for years, was somewhat discouraged, and then when COVID hit, well, then she was really discouraged. But she sensed God prompting her to contact a number of her neighbors anyways during COVID. And so in faith, she stepped out and called them up on the phone and just to see how they were doing and began to spend time with them on the phone. And as they got to know each other, um, they went on walks together. And over time, three of her neighbors have come to faith in Christ. God's timing is always perfect our responsibility is to be obedient. That's just an example of what God can do in and through us if we regularly ask him, Lord, what are you saying to me? And what is it that you want me to do about it? And then we step out and actually do it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul reminds us to stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And that is a word to us all. When God calls you to pray or to help or to care in some way and you step out and you do it, even if you never receive any evidence that your obedience made a difference on the authority of God's word, know that whatever you do for the Lord is not in vain. And then furthermore, we look at Jesus' life, and we see that he lived a holy, God-pleasing life. In fact, at his baptism, his heavenly Father said of him, this is my son whom I am, in whom I am well pleased. We are living in a world that is weary of words. They couldn't care less what we say, but they will listen to a person who lives a supernaturally different lifestyle. People can and will argue with your ideas and with your beliefs, but they can't argue with a life that is well lived. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. He's saying, you are the vehicle through which God's kingdom will come to earth as it is in heaven. In other words, if we're going to see some of the beautiful and wonderful things of heaven become a reality here on earth, it's going to come primarily through our lives. So reflect on your life for a moment. If everyone in your family, your community group, or our church were just like you, in terms of their servant heart, in terms of their values and their morality, if everyone had the same COVID attitude you do, what would your family be like? What would your community group be like? What would our church be like? See, some people may never read a Bible, but they'll read your life. The question is, what do they read when they read you? What version of Jesus... Do they see when they see your life? Might it be possible that some people who don't follow Christ are looking at my life or looking at your life and saying, man, if that's Christianity, forget it. You know, in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. As his followers... He gives us his authority and his power to impact our world for Christ. But you see, if there's dishonesty, if if there's slander, if there's gossip, if there's impurity or envy or greed and the like in our lives, Jesus says we lose our saltiness and our God-given authority and witness is diminished. The only way that we can regain it is to humble ourselves and to confess it to God and to ask God to fill us again with his Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, Jesus accomplished his mission through a small group of others, and we talked a little bit about this last time. Now in the same way, if we're going to fulfill the mission that God has given to us, we're gonna need the support and the encouragement of a small group of like-minded people. There will be times when God calls us to take a bold step of faith, to start a friendship with someone at work uh, or in our neighborhood, to have a spiritual conversation with someone, to invite someone uh, who's far from God to join us for an alpha group, or to maybe help someone in a very significant way, and, and we find ourselves battling with fear or maybe doubts. Should we really be doing this? And it's at that moment we are going to need a few like-minded friends who pray for us, encourage us, and remind us that we're not crazy giving our life away in love for others. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, he was talking to each of us. But he was also talking to all of us as a church. And there in church is the hope that I really wanna encourage you with today. Jesus did not intend for us to go it alone and particularly he did not intend for it all to rest on just us. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6 the Apostle Paul talks about the different roles that we play in fulfilling his mission. He writes I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has made it grow. Loving others to Jesus is a process that involves cultivating, planting, watering, and reaping or harvesting. All are needed. And we all play a part in the process. And so what is cultivating? Well, cultivating is busting up the weeds and the hard soil in preparation to receive the seed. Cultivating is sincerely praying for someone as we've already talked about. Spending time with them. Listening to them and serving them. Just having fun with them. Cultivating is serving behind the scenes. Washing dishes. Preparing meals. It's providing for the needs of people. It's caring for and serving people. Anything that says, I just want you to know you're loved. You're loved by God and you're also loved by me. It's really an appeal to the person's heart. Planting, on the other hand, is dropping seeds of truth. It's really an appeal to the mind. Planting is you sharing a little bit of your story and the difference that God has made in your life. It's giving them a book or a sermon that you heard, a really good sermon, you know, someone at another church, uh, or a song or a powerful drama like The Chosen, that tells the story of the life of Christ in such a compelling way. It's people who share God's truth with others in a loving and a non-confrontational way. Constantly encouraging people to read this or listen to this or watch this or consider this or come with me to this. Now watering is just being there for the person doing life with them encouraging them in any way possible along the way and then of course reaping or harvesting is actually praying with someone to receive christ you know over the years i've had the joy of praying with many people and and witnessing them put their trust in jesus christ but for many of those It's not only because of God's supernatural work in their lives, but also because so many of you, the people of Center Street, have been faithful, cultivating, planting, and watering. There are people who are headed to heaven because of your faithfulness. Loving others to Jesus involves each of us, yes, but it also involves all of us working together as an entire church and also um, within our missional uh, groups. We are all an important link in the chain of someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And then fourthly, Jesus accomplished his mission by loving others sacrificially. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus was speaking of himself when he said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This so accurately describes the life of Jesus. Though he went away often by himself to rest and to be with his heavenly Father, Jesus tirelessly invested in the lives of those who came across his path. You know... God wants us to enjoy life. And we certainly have a right to engage in sports and to watch television and and an assortment of other leisure activities and fun times with family and friends. But if we're going to be involved redemptively in the lives of people, we are going to have to make some commitments to that goal. We're going to have to give some things up some things that we really love. Loving others will be costly. It will cost us time. It's going to involve interruptions and require patience. And it will involve the giving of money and, and support and giving up things that are precious to us. In Mark 8:34, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Jesus says loving others sacrificially involves three things. It involves denying yourself, taking up your cross and following him. Now denying yourself means you put the interests of others ahead of yourself. In Luke 10, Jesus taught about what it means to deny yourself by telling the story of the Good Samaritan. It's the story of a Jewish man who was robbed and beaten and left for dead on the roadside. A priest came along saw the hurting man and kept going. A Levite came along and did the same thing. Then a Samaritan who despised Jews at the time and were despised by Jews, this Samaritan came along and he took pity on him. He cared for his wounds. He brought him to an inn uh, to be restored to health, and he paid for the costs of his care. Now, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he made this observation. He said, when the priest and the Levite saw the wounded man, they asked, well, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? I mean, how's this gonna mess up my schedule and what's this gonna cost me? The Good Samaritan, on the other hand, reversed the question. He asked, well, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That is what it means to deny yourself. Genuine love is a sacrificial, generous love that puts the needs and the interests of the other ahead of ourselves. Denying yourself is saying no to your desires and wishes. Taking up your cross is saying yes to God's call, even if it is costly. You know, there are millions of people who unfortunately have been taught that they can become Christians and it won't cost them anything. In Luke 14, Jesus said, Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And this is why Jesus had so few disciples and why we read uh, in the scriptures that many times disciples would leave, would leave him. The call to follow Jesus was a call to die. A call to total surrender of your own desires to the greater mission and purposes of God. This kind of surrender and suffering is rarely talked about in the Western church today. We see suffering and sacrifice all the way through the New Testament. The early believers actually, it says, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy To suffer for the Lord. And yet today, far too many Christians live lives of partial surrender. They want Jesus, yes. But there are limits to what they will sacrifice for him. We want him. But there are also lots of other things we want in life. Taking up your cross... Is saying yes to God's call regardless of the cost it is saying yes to God's call even though you're still waiting for physical healing you're still waiting for God to come through for your dream job you're still waiting to see your business take off you're still waiting to make ends meet you're still waiting to find that special someone you're still waiting to have a good friend. You're still waiting for a healthy marriage. Church, this is the way that Jesus lived. He lived sacrificially. And he turned his world right side up. In Acts 2, we read, the early church impacted their community the same way that Jesus and the disciples did. First... They loved God. They functioned in the authority and the power of God. Furthermore, they loved one another in such an authentic and profound way that others wanted to be part of them. Acts 2.47 says they enjoyed the favor of all the people in their community. And what that tells me is that they were reaching out to the people who were living around them. You don't win the favor of people by ignoring them or shouting insults at them. It tells me that they were praying for their neighbors, they were inviting them over for a meal, they were serving them in whatever way God was leading them to serve. And they weren't doing it alone. They were doing it together with one another. Historian Will Durant confirms this in 165 A.D., and then again a century later in 251 A.D., the ancient world was crippled by two major plagues that killed um, and took the life of tens of millions of people. And yet the Christians helped the widows and the orphans and the sick, the victims of these plagues, when everyone else just left them to die. Christians in the day lived under intense persecution, and yet they focused on three things. They focused on loving God, on loving one another, and loving those who were far from God. And you know what happened? Despite all the plagues and all the lives that were lost and everything else, because they gave that, that was the focus of their life the Christian faith exploded during those eras. And church, if we give our lives to the mission that God has called us to, I believe to the core of my being, we are going to see a mighty move of God in our day as well, during and after this pandemic. But for some, it will require a change of heart it's going to require a change of conviction that focuses less on our own interests less on our need for safety and security and instead like Christ putting the interests of others ahead of ourselves now please understand in all of this I'm not saying or even suggesting that the weight of the world should be on our shoulders that God's mission should be totally on our shoulders No we can rest in the Lord and trust the Lord to carry the weight of the world on his shoulders our responsibility is to stay close to him like we've talked about to listen to his voice and to carry out the assignments that he gives us and we can count on him to give us the strength the wisdom and the means to do what he calls us to do and then just one final thought The last thing that Jesus said before he ascended to heaven was this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Don't ever forget that. Whatever it is that he calls you to do, whatever it is um, that you're involved in, you are not alone. He is with you guiding you, protecting you, and empowering you, and working in you and through you to make an eternal difference in the lives of others. You know, many years ago now, Gwen and I had come within seconds of missing a flight. I don't know if you've ever come that close to missing a flight, but we did. And as we were taking off, and I was, I was still trying to settle down um, my heart and sense of panic in me. A young man sitting next to me said, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? And I said, no, go ahead. And he said, I don't know you at all, but you have an aura of peace around you. And I'd like to know more about you and why that might be. Now, as I mentioned, having almost missed our flight, I was still recovering from an aura of panic, not an aura of peace. But then, it dawned on me that the peace that he sensed in me wasn't me at all, but the presence of the Holy Spirit in me. And that day I developed a whole new appreciation for Christ's words, and surely I am with you always. My faith was bolstered that day in realizing that it is not I, but Christ who lives in and through me. And if you're a Christ follower, the same is true for you. The Spirit of God is in you, living the life of Christ through you. Believe it, church, and live every moment with the awareness of that. Now, you know, whenever I meet someone or share with someone, Whenever I preach God's word, as I am right now, I ask the Lord in my spirit to reveal himself and his truth to this person, or to the people I'm speaking to, and change their hearts and draw them to himself. Sorry about that. <clears throat> and, I, and I believe with all of my heart that the Lord is working through me in ways I could never accomplish in my own strength. And you know, over and over again, he has amazed me. And so he will amaze you as you impact others for eternity. I'll close with this. A number of years ago, I received a call from a young man. I had the joy of introducing to Jesus nearly 20 years previous to that. He started out saying, so how you doing, Grandpa? Now at the time, I wasn't a grandpa. And so I didn't know what he was talking about. And so he said, what I mean is, I just introduced one of my staff here at work to Jesus. And as I see it, since you introduced me to Jesus, that makes you a spiritual grandpa. We laughed and we celebrated. And then he got really serious. And he said, you know, the other day I was sitting and thinking how different my life would be If I hadn't met the Lord, he said, my relationship with Christ has brought meaning and purpose to my life. It's changed my priorities, my attitudes and the kind of woman I married, the way that we're raising our children. It's changed everything in my life in a very good way. And now God is using me to point others to Jesus as well. And then he said, I just wanted to call and say thank you for introducing me to the Lord. As I hung up the phone, I could hardly contain my emotions that were welling up inside of me. And I just recall sitting back and looking up and saying, oh Lord, thank you for involving me in the greatest cause ever given to man. And oh church, sooner or later, we will all realize that for the Christian, there isn't anything more important than to love God, to love one another, and to love others by introducing them to the Jesus we know and love. God wants to introduce you. God wants to use you to introduce the people in your life to him. That's why we're here and not in heaven. Let's take a moment right now and reflect on this teaching and ask the Lord Lord what are you saying to me and what do you want me to do about it and then after a moment we're going to join together in responding in song to him